Welcome to episode 67 of the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods. This episode, we're going to be diving into disability representation in pop culture. Uh, joining me tonight is Ben Beck. Hey, all. TJ. Hello. Ash. Hey. Jess. Greetings. Kat. Hi. And I am your host, Rob. Hey. And that's Riley. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to kick off the show the way we start off every other episode. And my question for everybody tonight is this. Would everybody here rather have Bucky's vibranium arm or Charles Xavier's infamous flying wheelchair from the X-Men? And I'm going to start tonight with TJ. Wow, that really just put me on the spot. Uh, (laughs) uh, I'm going to go with the wheelchair, mainly because I, I don't know what I'd use the arm for. (laughs) <laughs> like outside of opening really hard jars it's not like i get get into fights with people that i'm gonna need a vibranium arm but the wheelchair would be fun to get around in ben and i'm lazy <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say i can give you ideas on what you could do with the arm but it usually involves like a lonely saturday night um i um i think i'd go with the arm Unless, unless <laughs> I love that you tied that right after <laughs> your answer. Not, not for that reason. You probably um, wanted a buffer there somewhere. In yeah, the discussion. it probably would have been a good idea. Um, I think though, I, I think in honesty though, I would go with the arm unless I could get the wheelchair made of vibranium. Because the wheelchair could still break, but that vibranium arm is pretty unbreakable. That's fair. So I'd go with the arm. Cat. Um. I'd go with the flying wheelchair. I'm with TJ. I think there would be a lot more uses for that. It'd be really fun to be able to like fly around everywhere. I did not know that actually existed either, so that's awesome. It's mainly from the 90s X-Men cartoon. It is. Oh God, I haven't and... seen that in years. I used to watch it, but it's been a long time. But it was very iconic, though, from that yeah. era of cartoons. Uh, Ash? Um, I... I'm going to choose the wheelchair as well, but for a slightly different reason. Um, I actually have mobility issues and I've had to walk with a cane before and it doesn't, it's not great. <laughs> it kind of sucks. So having an easy way to get around places, uh, especially one that does not rely on touching the ground uh, is seems dope. Like I, I would love a wheelchair that did not have to, um, roll over like bumps and stairs at everything i would like to be able to go from one level to the next with no problem at all <laughs> yeah definitely i honestly too like just even thinking on that like no accessibility ramps you can still get up steps and stuff like that so really beautifully thought through uh jess i would probably have to go with the vibranium arm um I mean, vibranium is just a really awesome material. And also, not to say that I would punch people in the face, but I'm just saying that with a vibranium arm, I could. Jess, Jess, you wouldn't be able to use this on the people you work with. (laughs) But on your last day with customers, hell yes. (laughs) Oh, if I were quitting, 100%. Um, Actually, I'm going to also go with Charles Xavier's wheelchair um actually for very similar reasons to ash um from somebody that has had mobility issues and things like that i think that is incredibly incredibly useful also again talking about its visual appearance from 90s comic books from like 
from like Chris Claremont's run to the animated series, it looked pretty fucking dope. So that's that's a huge win win. So my my biggest issue with the wheelchair would be if it breaks. Good luck finding a mechanic to fix it. Elon Musk exists. I mean, hell, that's true. One, one of his partners today came out talking about how they were talking, uh, talking that they could actually create Jurassic Park. And I'm like, and that's a little scary. Um, so, hey, and they're tough. just stupid enough to do it. I honestly, the best part about it is in the start of the article was the the Ian Malcolm quote is like, your scientists were so preoccupied if they could do it and they didn't think about it if they should. Uh, but that's another episode. And I think we need to do a dinosaurs episode at some point in time because that's just never been done yet on this show. So I have to be on a dinosaur episode, by the way. I need to be on a dinosaur episode if we do one. As long as we can talk about anything but the show Dinosaurs on ABC, then I'm fine. Agreed. That was the well, can't do it with that show. I'm okay with that. We we can totally <laughs> skip over that 100 percent I'm going and, to grab clips from that show for that episode. It's the great thing is I'm the one that edits this show and they won't appear in that episode at all. <laughs> all right. So because we're talking tonight about disability representation in pop culture, we have to do a little bit of legwork to define the terms that we're going to use. So I want to get a couple things up and out of the way because we're going to bring up a few things that people may not be used to. And I do apologize if any of us misspeak tonight or use some old terminology. Um, I know obviously in today's day and age, like I said, things do evolve pretty quick and like you have to really try to do your best to keep up with sometimes changing terms and things like that. So again, please bear with us. If we do, you know, misspeak, we'll try to correct ourselves as we go throughout the episode, but we'll be trying to stick to a same base level of terms throughout as we discuss. So obviously was when we talk about disability, we're talking about multiple different types of disabilities between mental illnesses to neurodivergencies to actual physical disabilities as well. So there's a lot that we can cover tonight in things, and we're going to do our best to try to spread things out quite a bit. Um, and if we do end up in situations like we were in other episodes, we will try to carry this over to another episode versus trying to shoehorn in conversations uh, just to get them addressed. Uh, because I feel like this is an episode that a lot of us here have a lot to say about. And some of us are here and really are happy to be here to just honestly learn a little bit more. So, um, you know, we may have a few of us talking a little bit more in certain areas. Some of us may may not. And just so it's not us trying to have any of us overshadow another member on the cast tonight. But we really wanted to give everybody an opportunity to really speak on this because this is something that I think is really important that we address because this is an area that's been lacking in pop culture for so long. And it's been great to see a really positive shift, even if it's a slow shift, as we talked, like when we did with LGBT inclusiveness uh, last year. So, um, but another term I want to bring up real quick, because we will talk about it later is the idea of inspiration porn and what that actually means. And I'll give you the direct definition of it is that's the portrayal of people with disabilities as inspirational solely or in part of the basis of their disability. Uh, inspiration porn is images, videos, and memes of disabled people used to motivate able-bodied people, suggesting that if a disability, a disabled person can accomplish something, then surely an abled person can as well. So just to get that out of the way so we don't slow down conversation later, but it's a really important piece because a lot of tropes that we're going to talk about tonight that involve this as far as inclusiveness do unfortunately rely on this quite heavily, especially going back from the 80s up until even just a few years ago, and it's still commonly used in TV and media today. So, uh, but I would like to start the conversation tonight here is, do, does anybody here remember the first time they've encountered uh, disability on a personal level? And 
if this was with another person or with even with yourself, did that change your viewpoint uh, in a situation? So uh, I would like to open up to everybody at this point in time. Uh, and I would really like to start with Ash tonight. Hey, um, yeah. So um, encountering people with disabilities, I have had uh, ADHD pretty much my whole life, um, but also have other um, mental health disabilities. So my encountering of disabilities started very early. Um, I've had PTSD since I was a really little kid. Um, so it didn't, it clearly didn't change my interactions with other people, um, except that once I started meeting more people who had uh, different disabilities, especially um, ones that I identified with because I had them myself, it made it easier for me to connect with other people because I felt like I was understood. Um, but yeah, I, as long as I've been conscious, I've been aware that there was something with me that was different than other people. Um, I, so that, I guess that's like a thing. Um, and then as I got older, I developed physical um, disabilities because of um, both fibro and rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I, like I mentioned before, I have mobility issues. Um, so as I got older, I started having trouble walking. I walked with a cane for a lot of college. Um, and so that was a, th a thing for me. And it's, uh, it's very interesting to have um, both sides, to have both both, all three, I guess. I have mental illnesses, I have neurodivergencies, and I have physical disabilities. Um, having all three of those things makes my, my ability to navigate the world very different than I think most people's ability to navigate the world is. Well, thank you so much for sharing with that. I mean, uh, you know, you and I actually connected in a early on in our friendship um, because you and I both have fibro. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I'm having that actual, you know, physical disability from that illness, that chronic illness that has impacted me has been a huge piece. But I know for me, wife, my early encounters was my father is partially deaf. So I've grown up around that as was my aunt and, you know, her daughter uh, was autistic. So there was a lot of things that I was used to from a very, very early age and was used to being surrounded around. So I think that was actually a kind of didn't make me change a viewpoint, especially when I encountered it outside of my family, because it was kind of just something that I was very used to. It's, it's kind of amusing. Like, you know, you hear people when they say, you know, they're from a city that has a really intensive accent, you know, and they go and they lose that accent over time, but they have those moments that they kind of flip back into it. I'll go into moments where I don't realize I'm talking incredibly loudly because I'm so used to in the way that I was brought up, having to be very, very loud for my dad to be able to hear me and understand me. Uh, and that was just, my normal day. It was just a normal part of me. So I slide into that sometimes not realizing it because that was part of my upbringing for him. He was, he didn't even realize that was going on for him when he was growing up until he was actually in high school, that he was deaf in one ear and partially deaf in the other, because for him, that was something they didn't discover about him until it was, this was like the late 1950s, early 1960s. So it was a huge, massive change for him to realize that. But 
you know, there's been so many wonderful advancements and for him. He's been able to at least still use an aid that has helped him be able to kind of like integrate back in. And even still with him now being in his mid seventies, it, it's been great to be able to communicate with him, but he still struggles with that. So I've seen what he's gone through and it's been interesting to watch that from my life is from growing up and then to now and watching what he's gone through as a person with that specific disability of being, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, having that impairment from being hearing impaired. But yeah, I, I think it was, it's, it's, it's interesting to see it from us being somebody support person, but also again, later in life, having a disability yourself. Um, anybody else ready to go? Uh, I mean, I, I can chime in. Um, I don't really have anything that is too incredibly specific as to, cause I've, I've had people in my life for almost all of it that I can remember that have had some kind of disability or have been dealing with something. Uh, I, the earliest inclination I remember of anything though, was two friends I had in middle school going into high school that I remember had to go to specialized classes because of something that they were, that they had, or that they were, they were dealing with that I was, and I was friends with them, but I never really, put any thought into it because at the time they were no different to me than everybody else. So I, I couldn't even tell you now what it was. They were what condition they had that made them have to go to specialized classes because I never thought about it. Um, that's really my earliest inclination of it. That's yeah. the earliest of remembering of anything I have of it. I mean, and the thing is, ultimately for you, the great part about that is, is uh, that means it obviously didn't change how you view them as a person. No, without, not at all. Which, I mean, but ultimately there's a lot of times, in, unfortunately, in, in society is when somebody finds out somebody has a disability of any of the types we've spoken about, that does change your perception very quickly. So it's always great to hear when people realize those things, they don't put, you know, they don't alter a viewpoint of a person's ability to do or function and that's i think really incredibly important yeah i mean because i i mean i remember being in middle school even before we moved into high school asking them how come i never saw them in any of my classes and then telling me well because i'm in different classes mm -hmm. than everybody else and that was really it that was the most i ever thought of it i was like oh okay then that's that mm -hmm. and never put any more thought into it yes yeah um so on a couple different fronts, I was not a well child and dealt with a lot of autoimmune disorders from a very young age. So um, to navigate that, especially as a kid, was interesting because I was very aware of the fact that I could not do all the things that my friends could do, like activity wise. Um, and just hoping that like my friends would understand. I always had very supportive friends, luckily, but yeah, that would be considered in that umbrella topic. And then also I have very close family that's neurodivergent. And that wasn't a term we had back in the early 90s. So it, you know, took a long time to get to that diagnosis, to that understanding. So that was a big thing growing up for me as well. So I can't say I can pinpoint an exact time. It's just kind of always been there. Okay. Uh, Really, my tune in. Um, 
Uh, I, I haven't really heard him pinpointing an exact time too, because I've always been surrounded by people. I haven't dealt with any myself, but I've always had a lot of friends, not so much family. I mean, I, my, um, uh, I've had cousins who are neurodivergent my whole life and that was just, you know, how it was. Um, I didn't really think anything of it, I guess. Um, but then, uh, yeah. And then like, I, you know, a lot of my friends have either dealt with like mental illness or physical disabilities from chronic illness and things like that. Like, so I, you know, like a lot. <laughs> so it just feels like my normal. I was actually talking to a client about it because I was explaining, um, because I do massage and I work on a lot of people with, um, chronic illnesses and things like that. And she was like, wait, you know how many people with MS? I'm like, oh, is that not, <laughs> is that not a normal amount? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's just become like part of my regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, TJ. Um, so I also have kind of dealt with it for most of my life. Uh, I have autoimmune disease. Um, I also have uh, OCD. Um, my mother had Munchausers by proxy, which is always fun. Um, so for me, it was, I, I learned the terms as I grew, grew up. Um, and I've, uh, my sister has fibromyalgia. Um, and you know, it's sometimes watching her struggle with that was it was hard, especially when they, she had it when they didn't know what it was. Um, so, yeah, I, it, for me, a lot of it growing up was learning the terms and figuring out that, oh, more people have this than I thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, like, everybody, thank you very much for kind of sharing a little bit of, like, your past on that. And for some Are of you, we- like, your. Oh, I'm sorry. Rob. Oh, go ahead. You're Before fine. You're touch fine. On the next thing. Yeah. I just want to say like to anybody listening, the reason why neurodivergent is being included, um, because I'm, I know there is a lot of discussion within communities as to whether neurodivergencies are a disability. And the big reason you, they should be included is because without disabled rights, for people who are neurodivergent, they cannot get the assistance and the accommodations that they need. So this is not to say that people who are neurodivergent are not able or capable in ways that people who are neurotypical are. It is just to say that because of the fact that their brain works differently than neurotypical people, society isn't built in a way for them and therefore they need the same accommodations that other disabilities need. I just wanted to touch on that real quick in case it uh, hit anybody the wrong way that we were bringing neurodivergencies into this conversation. No, I think that's actually really fantastic to do so because part of one of the things I do with work is study a lot of medical law and things like that as far as how things work. And, you know, we do have a lot of friends that have disabilities that have keep them out of work or things like that. And there is basically the way that our country works in the U.S. is there is a very simple pathway. And simple, I mean, in very much in quotes, because it's just there is only one way it works to be on disability in our country. 
uh, regardless of the type of disability you have and everybody's under the same rules and umbrella. And the unfortunate piece of that is um, it makes things incredibly, incredibly difficult for all people uh, involved in those things. Um, and I think when we talk about certain things later and probably even, for example, one of the examples I'm going to give in a moment uh, is when we talk about things like DID, and I'll explain that in a moment. Those there's a lot of people with things like DID that are not able to uh, that and do require uh, being on disability leave and things uh, and such. So it's really a great piece. And thank you so much for bringing that up, Ash. I really appreciate that. So a question I had for everybody was: Does do people here recall the first time they actually encountered a character from a form of entertainment or media, whether it's comic books, video games, TV shows, uh, you know? so on and so forth. Any of the traditional forms of entertainment uh, that they were introduced to a character that had either a physical or mental disability or a neurodivergency. And Ash, you look like you were ready to rock. Um, well, you already brought up a character from a series that was one of many. <laughs> um, and that is Charles Xavier. Mm. Um, I was a huge X-Men fan growing up from a very young age. Comics were something I read as soon as I read books. Um, so I was very heavily reading comics. And also there's the early 90s TV show, which I was very much into because that was my growing up period. Um, so I remember Charles Xavier being in the wheelchair, uh, Rogue having amnesia, um, Scott scott not being able to physically look at things it's not a disability in a traditional way because i do believe he has vision uh just that but he, it's still a visual impairment yeah he has his own visual impairment as well um so there um and i would probably argue that um both beast and wolverine have the i mean wolverine definitely has ptsd um beast is very likely uh, on the spectrum in some fashion. Um, the whole cast of X-Men is a bunch of people who have either physical or mental divergences that from, from what to people typically have. And I, I identified that with that really, really early. Oh yeah. I mean, you can even look at it. I'm trying to remember, I know even like Jubilee there, there's something specific about her as well that I'm just blanking on, but like Jean Grey is also as talking about DID um, between her and Phoenix is there's a lot of great, great analogies, especially in, in X-Men. Definitely. Um. Actually, I'll jump in next, too, because uh, mine is also right around side comics as well. But the first one I can definitely remember is, is talking about DID. And for those of you that don't know that term, uh, previously, a lot of people viewed it as multiple personality disorder, but now it's referred to as disassociative identity, uh, identity disorder is uh, the new terminology more commonly used today. But Two-Face, uh, Harvey Dent, is one of the most, uh, one of the first ones I recall growing up uh, and getting introduced to that character obviously at that time you don't really view them uh in that light but as you grow up you start kind of putting together uh the pieces and realizing oh okay this makes a lot more sense uh but again probably just like many other people though that 90s x-men cartoon was a quick connection for me as well so uh tj you look like you were ready to rock got to mute um one of the first ones I encountered um, was Cyborg. Uh, 
I'm going to really date myself here, but there used to be a TV show called Superpowers, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which was a spinoff of the Super Friends and featured Cyborg in a prominent role. And uh, I think I might have been six or seven at the time and asking my dad, why does he, what's up with the robot guy? And my father uh, handed me about a stack of comics about, I don't know, the size of my forearm and said, here, read these and I'll I'll answer any questions. (laughs) Um, uh, Three days later, I had questions. But yes, Cyborg was one of the first ones that uh, I encountered. Okay. Um, Jess. I had to think about this, but I figured out my answer. Uh, my dad and I watched a lot of Star Trek when I was a very young child and Jordy mm-hmm. for sure. Like I was very young, but I understood that his visor helped him to see and that that was an important part of his character. So that was probably my first consciousness of a character who had a some sort of disability and the way that they were represented. Ben, it looked like you were ready to rock. Yeah, uh, Jess, you kind of jumped right on the same one I was going to bring up. Um, and she as Jess th- uh, throws finger guns at you in our, uh, our no, chat. It's, no, it, it's it's absolutely fine because Jordy's a great example of, of uh, one of two that I was going to bring up. In fact, that I mean, there were two characters that I came across and, and knew of before. I mean, Charles Xavier was another one that was on my list as well. But uh, Jordy LaForge and another character are two that I remember coming across as disabled characters that at the time I did not realize were disabled characters. It wasn't until I became older that I realized this is a disability that they're dealing with. Uh, and the other character is actually a literary character, and that's Tiny Tim. Mm. Uh, Tiny Tim was another character with a disability that when I was younger didn't realize that was a disability. You know, for, as a kid, you just think he's a, he's a child with a crutch. You don't really think about the reason why he has the crutch. Mm-hmm. Um, Kat, I'm not sure if you can join us or not at the moment. I know Riley looks like she's very, very, very chatty. But if you can, feel free to join us. Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, mine was probably, like, I did watch the X-Men cartoon when I was a kid. So, yeah. But, again, just didn't even, like, register. It was like, oh, yeah, there's Charles Xavier. <laughs> Um, I think the one that stuck out to me first the most was Oracle. Barbara Gordon. That was a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so a good question for everybody. So like we kind of introduced the characters, but like I think there's a kind of important follow-ups for everybody around the people that they connected with. And well, or recall originally, but was there an attachment to those characters and a question I have for people is like, for you, did you define their characters at that time being younger by um, that disability, not realizing it early on? Is like, and that's, it's, it's just more curiosity in, in my mind as we kind of talk about this a little bit, because I know our perceptions obviously change pretty dramatically as we get older, but was that the defining feature for, for you when you think about your their characters? Because it's kind of important when we talk about the next steps in our conversation today, because when we talk about entertainment, um, they really have struggled in the representation as we've already kind of addressed that we were going to be talking about tonight. But um, 
it seems like they've kind of fell back on those reasonings and used those people as support characters more than they were as central pieces. And honestly, it's just something to think about too as you answer this. Do you feel that character, if they're still being used today, do you think they've evolved? Ash. Um, so with uh, Charles Xavier as like the first specific example, um, I don't... I mean, I was attached to all of the X-Men because they were all people first. So it, I wasn't attached to them because of their disability. That didn't, that's not how I identified them. Although any of the ones that experienced trauma, which was a lot of the X-Men, I definitely was like, oh, I know trauma. You make sense to me. Um, but I feel like with Charles Xavier specifically, and it's quite possibly because it is a white male character, um, he is somebody who is in a wheelchair but yet has all these mental powers and so you never feel like oh his wheelchair defines him or the fact that he is uh paraplegic defines him because he has one of the greatest minds at least in as far in so far as like telepathy and everything else he's one of the only people that can use Cerebro, for example. Like, that's a huge deal. That's more defining of him than the fact that he's a paraplegic. The paraplegic part is a physical defining characteristic, but not defining characteristic as to who he is. Where I feel like a lot of the other characters, like Rogue, for example, um, in certain storylines, her amnesia is a huge deal. Yet in other storylines, like, so in the 90s comic, or the 90s cartoon her amnesia was a big thing she has no idea who she is and in a lot of the storylines she has no idea who she is because uh for people who don't know the character she takes on other people's um memories and loses track of who like what like um what her actual history is um, and it's more associated with uh, amnesia than like DID or something because she doesn't become these other people. She just can't remember things. In more recent movies, they took that all out. They made her powers purely physical and it didn't impact her memories at all. Um, so she lost a lot of what made her a disabled character, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and yep. Being a character that was, like, that that was a big deal for who she was, I, I think it, it dramatically changes the character, ultimately. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, because I think, oddly enough tonight, I think we're going to actually talk about comics a little bit more than I think uh, a lot of us probably even originally planned, uh, because I feel I mean, like... I have books. Oh yes, absolutely. No, I, I, I know, I know. Between you and Jess, we'll we'll definitely dive us in, and actually, Ash as well is. We'll dive probably very heavily into a lot of books as well. Uh, but I think it's amazing. Like when I kind of went through and did a lot of research on a lot of this tonight, is um, a lot of the some of the biggest examples. A lot of kind of really kind of like a wide wide variety of of the types of characters we're talking about tonight. A lot of them actually stemmed out of comic books, which was very surprising to kind of have my eyes kind of open to that because these are characters all of us are familiar with in some ways or more more ways than others so i think it's really kind of interesting to see that but you know i think especially when we kind of get into the mainstream of things 
the X-Men movies of the was very early, early 2000s is when we started seeing a shift of that change pretty, pretty dramatically. It is kind of to make it more palatable for a mainstream audience. So um, anybody else ready to go as far as a response to that other piece of this first, first section? TJ. Um, for, I was slightly lucky in that my father was a big enough nerd that when I said, who's the robot guy, he was able to hand me a stack of comics. So the perception of Cyborg as a guy in a robot body was quickly replaced with the characterization that the comic books were able to give him. Um, but there have definitely been characters in media that you know I've identified as, hey, that's the guy in the wheelchair. Or, hey, that's the guy... Uh, with OCD, or that's you know, um, then we'll probably get into this later. But I've always found Monk was a large offender in terms of that, uh, where it got to the point where he was only his OCD or whatever, or whatever else he had. Um, anybody else? Good. Uh, you know, going back to Jordy LaForge again, uh, using that character, um, you know, when you talk about the evolution of the character and, and whether or not it's, you know, the character evolved with that, I think Jordy is a good example of that. You know, throughout the series, he had the visor that he wore, but later in the films, uh, it kind of evolved. He, he no longer used the, the visor and he had other ways to kind of get past that disability. Um. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. Or... Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Uh, Jess. Yes. Um, I'm going to need somebody who's more well-versed in DC Comics to help me out with this, but Barbara Gordon, mm -hmm. for sure, um, is a big one because when the character was introduced, she was not in a wheelchair. Correct. And then uh, the killing joke happened right in the late 80s. And then she was in a wheelchair. And wasn't there a run in like the 2010s where they wanted to take her out of it or did they take her out of it they i can tell you that they did indeed that's the part i'm not sure about yeah so when dc basically decided to do the dumbest thing that they have ever done um when they basically said hey let's look at what marvel did with the ultimates and ultimates was really cool and then ultimates still went out with a whimper and dc said no it's still a really great idea let's do it anyway then they introduced the new 52 and they said hey let's give a jumping on point for everybody and let's nuke all this history and backstory of all of these characters but we're going to cherry pick all the best parts and they said you know what we've had three amazing Batgirls, but you know what? Let's just go back to Barbara. So they plucked her out of the chair and said, hey, cool, she can walk. And then it wasn't until a little bit later on where they said, okay, we're going to still make that part of her backstory and her history, but the way that they did it sucked and they really fucked up badly um, in the grand scheme of those things. But thankfully, at least there have been competent writers uh, since then that have still actually have done a really great job having her deal with, honestly, the fact that she struggles with PTSD still from those events. And The Killing Joke is still a defining moment for her as a character as far as uh, how she copes in modern day. Um, it, it's it, it's still incredibly well written. And Gail Simone was one of the best writers of Batgirl for such a long time. And it was such a shame to see them really screw over a lot of their creators in the new 52. Um 
Ash and then Kat. And then I'm sure when TJ realizes what we're talking about, he's going to have something to say about this as well. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a quick point in regards to that awful 2010 run. Um, New 52, I, TJ. I recall when it was about to come out an uproar in the disability community um, as somebody who at the time had mobility issues, I was heavily involved in that, those communities. And the biggest issue was that they could have retconned her entire past, including her trauma, which the way she be like the way she lost the use of her legs was horrifying. But they were like, we're going to keep the traumatic thing, which is fine. PTSD is a real thing. I'm glad they didn't take the PTSD out of her character. But we're going to keep the traumatic thing. But we're going to make her more interesting to look at. Rather than making her a Batgirl that was a wheelchair user. How easy and how cool would that have been if she went back to being Batgirl in a wheelchair and there was no reason she didn't need to and it basically made it seem like if you're in a wheelchair you can no longer be a superhero despite how amazing she had been as oracle you have to have some surgery that'll suddenly make you walk and still deal with the trauma of what had happened to you that put you in a wheelchair in the first place okay mm -hmm. and um you know branching off of that that's exactly it it definitely delved into inspiration porn territory. And that was very upsetting to see because rather than like one of the things that I really loved about Oracle was, I mean, you really, it put you in the mindset of like, fuck, like, you know, this was a character you followed. Like I loved, um, I grew up watching Batman the animated series. So to see that happen with Oracle, I was like, oh shit. Like that really impacted me mentally. Cause I'm like, fuck, that could happen. Like, you know, it's not just something you're born with. It can happen to anyone. And them retconning that fucking sucked. Because it's like, it was such an amazing, you know, bridge of empathy that they're just like, hey, we're just gonna, you know, but you can, she, she got through it. Yeah, like they had the, you know, they had the surgery and oh, they made it manage to, and it just was such a shame because like there's so many people who don't, who don't just get through it. And who can't, like, it's just not a reality when someone goes through that sort of extreme thing. And so, yeah, that was very disappointing. Uh, I'll add a small quick point. And this is, uh, TJ, I'm going to steal a line that you've told me many times in our conversations about comics. Um, but the biggest issue uh, with the New 52 is the opening salvo of the New 52, where they said five years ago, uh, where they condense a rich history of characters down to saying this all happened in this short span of time. And when we talk about characters like Barbara Gordon, you know, this was a defining moment that happened to this character's life that she evolved with. And she evolved with the times and went through all these things. But when they did that, they say, okay, it's like, well, this traumatic event that happened to her, this is still fresh and all this stuff, but it was like, we've watched her for years grow and be not defined by being confined into a wheelchair or things like that she showed improved the character wheelchair user not wheelchair user, yes not confined correct correct um that's correct that's a uh, old terminology very much so i uh, appreciate that uh but when you have a character veil that is she's she 
pretty much they kind of turned her back into being defined by this situation when we have watched her for so long break away from being defined by the events of Alan Moore's killing joke. And I think that was really a pain to see. So, uh, TJ. Uh, let Jess go first. Okay. Jess. Yeah, just wanted to say that, you know, that became such an integral part of her character that then people who used wheelchairs saw themselves in her and as a big, someone they could relate to, you know, like what other, I'm not saying this correctly and I'm trying to, you know, but. She was one of the most present figures. Exactly. Thank you, TJ. And the fact that they did try to take that away is just, it's not good optics. Like who on the editorial team or who in the creator meeting thought that that was a good idea was, was my point is that, you know, you have these probably cis straight, white, able-bodied male creators to be frank. And these are the people making the decision. So not only do I want to see in general as a blanket statement, more representation in comic books, especially, but the representation needs to come from these people should be on the editorial teams, on the creative teams to get a more well-rounded experience. And I see things are happening in the chat. So. TJ. I'm going to apologize because this will probably turn into a long rant. It's okay. It's quite okay. <laughs> so the new 52, top to bottom is horrible. If you got into comics around the new 52, I apologize. There's better stuff out there. Skip it all and go to Rebirth. Um, the but the biggest tragedy isn't even what they isn't even the new 52 and what they did to the characters there it's what was scrapped before it even made it to a page and uh, to answer the question of who's making these decisions Warner Brothers is and the executives there are strangleholding the uh DC Comics in particular, and Disney's doing the same thing to Marvel. This is why you will always see these characters return to the character they were before. There's These are supposed to be our modern myths, but even Hercules, ret even Hercules retired. Okay? There was a story where Hercules passed the baton to somebody else. And they're not doing that anymore. And you can look back and see when it happened. The Golden Age gave way, way to the Silver Age, which gave way to the Marvel, uh, the Age of Marvels, which gave way to the modern era. DC was going to introduce what was called 5G, the fifth generation. Okay, You can see some of the hints of this in their recent future state comics. They were going to introduce that Superman was going to retire and have to leave Earth. Uh, and his son Jonathan was going to take over. Nubia and um, I cannot remember the new character's name, but she's the Latin American Wonder Woman. Uh, we're going to take over as Wonder Woman. There were going to be two of them running around. Uh, Jace Fox, the son of Lucius Fox, was going to take over as Batman. The, the uh, Jess Quick which was going to be a non-binary Flash, was going to take over the Flash comics. They had all of these things lined up, ready to go, 
pay the authors, pay the artists, and that's why we got Future State because they had to use the material somewhere. Uh, and then they went, no, wait, the fanboys are going to hate this. We're going to back off and not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you can t- tell the, the response is good because several of those characters that came out in that um, turned into uh, the, the uh, Latin America Wonder Woman is getting her own TV show. She's also getting her own comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, it's a really interesting point, though, too. And it's 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 a shame that we see like rich histories of characters alter, especially when they were amazing icons for the community that we're speaking about tonight. Uh, and I think that's kind of very, it, it's painful for, for those icons to disappear and kind of feel like they're, they're plucked away from a community that is looking for good representation. And I think that's a shame. Um, well, let's move forward a little bit because we have a fair amount to talk about tonight still. And I think we could talk an entire, entire show. And I think we'll probably have a big conversation about comics in the very near future that I'm sure the bulk of us will all be on that conversation as well. Um, but, you know, as we talk about this, and entertainment's very much struggled with better representation of disabilities, and it's uh, only now making small strides in really positive directions. Uh, you know, and why do we think it's been so difficult up until now for there to be a shift in things in general? Um, and... You know, there's a lot more that we can talk about because obviously let's get into a little bit about tropes here as well. But Ash, let's start with you. Uh, it starts from the beginning of not getting people on the creative team who have the disabilities that should be being represented and then trying to represent disabilities that people know nothing about. That I mean, that's the that's the crux of the issue is you get a bunch of people in a room and that's where you get the problem with inspiration porn is you get a bunch of people in a room and if they decide to put a disability into a feature of some sort if they do not have that disability themselves or if they do not hire somebody who has that disability themselves then um, from step one in creative it all goes to shit um the other problem also is egos um recently um i watched a film i don't know if you want me to get into this yet or if i should save this for later um you're about to talk about uh king kong versus godzilla yeah uh if we can just be cautious about talking too much about spoilers but i do know there's an issue with the representation of the character and if you would like you can feel free to get into that just avoiding story yes in in short there is um a deaf character in King Kong versus Godzilla. The pros. WB hired a deaf actress to play the deaf character. Awesome. Excellent. The actress's parents, as well as an unnamed third woman, um, did the interpretation of the dialogue in the script. Cool. Got it. When it came to filming, as the interpreter is telling the director what the signs are interpreted to the director's like no 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 that's not what was written on the page and they're like well you don't understand american sign language is not english it does not directly translate it cannot directly translate and what you want her to say in sign language it doesn't that's not going to make sense 
And as somebody who has um, experience with sign language, I could tell right away that some of the signs and some of the phrases were incorrect, that they didn't make sense because I had been like teaching myself ASL in order to interact with other people who primarily speak in sign, people who don't read lips at all. And I, I've learned how to read signs well enough that I was like, something's wrong here. Um, and then I looked up the information. I found an interview with the girl and it told me the crux of the problem, which was that the director kept pushing back and they did the best they could. Like the young actress and the interpreters did the best they could to put out a representation that, that would be well. But then there are other moments within the film in which, and I'm not gonna speak directly to what it is, but in which they had even more control, like creative had e even more control in regards to things and just plain got it wrong when they could have used Google to make sure they did it right. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm like, this is unacceptable. Like, I'm glad they hired a uh, deaf actress. That's huge. That's actually gigantic. I'm glad they used people within the deaf community to interpret it. I'm not okay with the fact that some white man stepped all over this representation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the note of, you know, uh, making sure that the right people have input, one of the things that's been a good trend in the book community, at least, is um, sensitivity readers. It's one of those things that it's, because I mean, with movies, it's a lot tougher. It's dispersed between so many people. Um, but at least with books, like, you have, you know, one person writing it. So it, it does still go through editing and, like, different spheres and stuff like that. But, at this, like, there's a lot more control. But the thing is, like, there's no excuse nowadays for not using a sensitivity reader if it's something that is completely out of your purview. Like, I've used them on mine. Um, I wrote a, uh, where like, a shifter book, shifter romance book that had a bipolar leak. I'm not that. <laughs> and I wanted to get it right. And I had a sensitivity reader on it because it is very important when you are diving into stuff like that, especially with books when you're dealing with, I mean, you have someone's internal thought process. <laughs> you really need to make sure you're getting it right. Um, it's really important to make sure that you're honoring um, you know, what, like, in the, like making it as authentic as possible. Mm -hmm. Ash. Uh, speaking to bipolar and getting bipolar right, um, Silver Linings Playbook mm. did an yes. amazing job at getting Shameless, right. too. Yes. I, Shameless was like... As somebody with bipolar disorder, I walked out of the theater after seeing Silver Linings Playbook exhausted in the best way possible because i was like i get this this that that's my reality this is my life and bradley cooper like fucking hands hands down to him for doing such an amazing job would i have loved if a bipolar actor could have gotten the role awesome that would have been preferable but i think that his representation and his research and his skill allowed for um, a portrayal of somebody who has 
a mental illness that I have to ring so true that I was just dumbfounded. Um, and then real quick in regards to books, I'd actually remembered one of the earliest positive representations I saw of a disability in books was called The Worst Speller in Junior High by Carolyn Janover, which is about um, a girl with dyslexia. And that oh my the, gosh, I've writer, the writer who wrote it was dyslexic. And she That's came cool. to my school when I was a kid and talked about the book and talked about her experience as a writer and talked about her experience in school with a, um, a I guess that would technically be an intellectual disability. It's either an intellectual disability or neuro neurodivergency. I'm not sure specifically. Um, it's, it's considered neuro neurodivergency at this point. Um, but she talked about how that impacted her and I bought that book right away. I told my mom, I was like, you need to get me this book. I need, I need to own it. And I still have it. And I have like, there's a piece of it that's bitten out of the cover from my hamsters, like to this day. <laughs> and I was just like, oh yeah, books are great. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, Jess, it looked like you had your hand up a couple minutes ago. No, no you were okay. Uh, TJ, were you ready to go too? I wasn't sure. Uh, no, I, not on this, but I slightly take a step back. I wanted to... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna stay away from the new fifty two. No, no, no. <laughs> um, DC recently re uh, released a synopsis for a book that they wanted to publish called the JLQ. Yes, which is uh, the Justice League queer. Mm -hmm. um, there's a hashtag trending on Twitter. It's hashtag uh, release JLQ. I'm plugging it because there are characters in there that I already know I like. Um, and it's a book that deserves to be published. So if you're listening to this, please at them about this because it should be published. Definitely. So sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. We, we will do another LGBTQ uh, episode definitely this year. So don't worry. We'll definitely dive back into that. And hopefully by then that will be on its way out. So mm -hmm. um, honestly, I, I will say, you know, when we talk, because in this area, I think talking about tropes is really incredibly important because, and I know we'll go into a little bit more specifics, but I think the big thing that any of us, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s can definitely recall uh, is the fact that a lot of the shows, whether it was for Nickelodeon or even talking about like uh, things like Saved by the Bell, anything like that, going back even further, always kind of treated this stuff as like the more you know episode. And it's kind of like you could have characters like Zach Morris and Saved by the Bell. He's like, oh, you know, I'm the hip and cool person, but we're going to have that one episode where everybody's going to be like, oh, there's this kid in the wheelchair. And they all are like, oh, now I get it and I understand. But that's the only episode that they seem to give a shit at all. And that's really what's the frustration part. And I think, and again, that goes into the inspiration porn angle that we talked about. But that's, I feel like, what we saw for the majority of all of us growing up. And it's great to see that while the shift has been a small shift, we're still seeing, I feel like at least in the last five to 10 years, more so than anything, especially going into angles for, you know, entertainment for kind of like the current generation's youth, 
that has shifted a lot. And I know we talked about that again, even when we talked about inclusiveness with LGBTQ, we have been seeing that shift in a positive way. But I think for our generation specifically, that's very much what we were used to consistently. And I think that's been incredibly frustrating that that kind of tracks with us as we got older. Um, And it feels like that's the same thing when you look at the generational wave. It's kind of like you take the people that are watching the same shows now as adults and they're still treating the adult audience the exact same way. And it's it's a little kind of as I mentioned, you know, it's agitating, but where it breaks down and I think that it gets incredibly frustrating is that never feels like it adjusts too much with the age bracket. It's like, you know, it was like, oh, this is the way we talked to you when you were six years old in the 80s. And then when you were 16 in the 90s. And we're still talking to you the same way in your 40s. And that's that's incredibly dis- disingenuous to an audience that you don't expect once to evolve and grow. Uh, Ash. I'm sorry that I'm the first to talk on like every topic. You're okay, you're okay. I just have a lot to say. Um, in regards to tropes, um, the villain trope <laughs> is old and tired and played out um, both in the uh, case of characters who are um, have physical disabilities um, as well as characters with mental illnesses. That like the whole characters with mental illnesses and their mental illness being their impetus for them being a villain is like so gross and over and overused and a trope that just needs to go away um and i think that's why like i was very attached to some to things like comic books um in regard like x-men for example because everybody had some sort of disability in x-men pretty much whether they were a villain or whether they were um, a hero and honestly more heroes than villains. It was like heroes and anti-heroes tended to be disabled and the villains were the, like the typical humans. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, sign me up for that every single day. Yeah. Cat. Um, yeah. Jumping off of that. Um, I'm very, very sick of the, um, villains trope especially and it is very very overused for mental illness it's one of those things where they're like "Mm, i need to give my villain a you know a a reason as to why they're villainous let me just pop this on and it's such bullshit um it's one thing that i'm really glad it is making you know is starting to actively change where we're seeing like more you know heroes and stuff as you know, people struggling with mental illnesses issues. Um, the other trope that really bothers me, and it's one that, like, again, I think hope we're starting to get away from, but um, when it comes to disability is um, prop not a person, <laughs> where it's, hey, you know, we want to, like, again, it's just the person is used as a prop. Like, they're not given characteristics beyond their disability at all. It's they're the not, you know, equivalent of the sexy lampshade. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just one of those things that's so tired and it really needs to die out because, yeah. Uh, Jess, you brought up what a chat. Did you want to feel free to dive into this? Oh, you're muted. 
again, DC is not my strong suit, but I just find like the current iterations of the Joker, especially Jared Leto's Joker, to just be a gross misuse of a character with mental disabilities and that becoming like their entire thing as to why they are a villain, the villain. And there are just such better ways that they could do that. They could address that, but instead it becomes this over-exaggerated thing that has nothing to do with representation. Mm-mm. And I yeah. think Joker is the biggest uh, culprit of that right now. I will say in comic books, um, again, bearing the new 52, because the new 52 had to be basically is the edge lord of all edge lords of eras of Look, when we talk about DC comics, just assume we're not talking about the new 52. Exactly. But I mean, I think when we talk about uh, the era before that, and then actually even the rebirth era, they have done much better and they don't treat the character that way. They just kind of treat it as a for- treat it as a force of nature. But ultimately, when we do talk about um, the current iteration of D- the DCEU films, um, starting with David Ayer's version with Jared Leto, you're very much correct. I, I would say 100%. They they very much treat it in that that vein. Because um, even if you, I think everybody here has probably watched Batman the Animated Series, but if you watch that, you probably don't view it the same way. But I think that's, it's an important distinction to make is you have a character that is just, nope, I'm just evil because evil is fun versus, holy crap, what are you guys doing? Like, very much the way we see, I think, the Leto version. TJ. Which is actually a really good example of good writing versus bad writing. <laughs> the Regardless of how they portrayed him, you know, the Joker in the Suicide Squad is bad writing. And you should not write like that. Okay? So, you know, the difference with the Joker in the animated series is, you know, he was more oh, I'm evil because, well, it's fun and I'm evil. Um, and in comics, he, he does that too. But it's the idea that he's crazy and that's why he's evil is the bad writing part. Right, definitely. Jess? That's exactly what I was going to say, TJ, is that that just seems to be their entire MO. Why is this Joker a villain? Because he's crazy. But what does crazy mean? What does that translate as? That translates to mental disabilities. And yeah. that's no longer a valid excuse. Right. That's no longer a good, like, that's not a good, not that's not a good origin story. It's just that it's no longer an excuse to equate crazy with mental disabilities. Mm-hmm. It is 2021, and that's just. I, I don't like it. Actually, uh, real quick, uh, because I, I'm going to kind of shift this out of this because we're running out of time on our first half. But I think, you know what it is, is the biggest thing we can say. And that's the downside is where really, Ash, you brought up the really interesting parts with X-Men, with X-Men, where the heroes are the ones that we're connecting with. And they're the ones that are going through. They have they are the ones that we can see that have the disabilities where the villains are the the, the, you know, are the normal folks that are just going to be like, we're going to be a dick because we like to be an asshole, you know, and that's really what it is. We're, we have all of the money. They did a great flip of that. And when then you get to DC and, you know, here's the biggest, clearest picture ever Batman. What is the, where do the villains come from? Arkham, the home for the criminally insane. 
the last part of that that naming of that place is the big problem. So Jess, very much thank you so much for putting that together because I actually even didn't think about that with with the Joker part. But you're right; it's very it's very true. So thanks for shining a light on that. I appreciate that. Um, so I, you know, we're at an hour right now. Um, we have a lot to talk about, so we're going to take, uh, about a two, three minute break real quick. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the best and worst representations of these characters. I know we've already nodded to a few of them. Um, talk about the areas that we want to see some improvement and where we want to see what universes have the better representation in addition to a couple other things. And then we'll wrap up tonight with a MFK and we'll be back in just a few. So coming out of the break, um, obviously we still have a fair amount to talk about, and I have a feeling there's a high chance, like almost every other episode that we do of this show, we won't get to all of it. And if that's the case, we will definitely come back because there's a lot more we should be able to discuss in full about this topic. So we won't try to cram stuff in. So if we have stuff left, we can definitely add on to this in a part two to this discussion. So I feel like we need to definitely dive into the best and worst representations of these characters through entertainment. And I think there are so many places that we can start, but I also think it's important that we also talk a little bit about characters that are perceived to uh, be neurodivergent, because I know there's a lot of them where the way that the characters are portrayed and even creators have come out and said, you know, we never really thought about it. This is the way that the actor portrayed them. And even the actor said, you know what? I, we added a lot of this in the history and the way that we crafted them. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're canon, but it doesn't change the fact that different communities of the, you know, of um, neurodivergencies or disabilities don't connect to those people. And I think it's important to still nod to them. Um, so why don't we start with, I think, the worst representations that we can think of because i think it's better to start in a dark place and get hopefully slightly better as we go um so if anybody has a worst representation we'll kick off tj you were very much ready to rock um if if monk never appeared on television again i would die a happy person (laughs) i'm done now do you want to expand on that a little bit more i know you kind of did beforehand but we kind of rushed through it so Monk started off as a detective who just happened to have OCD and I think a few other um, neurodivergencies. Um, And I think by the second season, 
it basically became what situation can we put Monk in to have it be funny that he's got OCD and these other neurodivergencies. And by the third episode of the second season, I had checked out because there were no mysteries anymore. It was just, let's make fun of the guy with, you know, who doesn't function like everybody else. That would really bother me. Oh, uh, it bothered me. Oh, my God. It you started know, out with great mysteries and then it went... Yeah. You know what it is? And I think this is going to be a common thread especially when it's in comedic forms. You're laughing at the character, not laughing with them. And I think it's the idea mm-hmm. of being on the right side of a joke. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of creators very much fail on that. And they yeah. use them as a punch punchline. Jess? Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Big Bang Theory, period. Yeah, I can't. The I entire, also Big Bang the Theory, period, but Sheldon in particular. And I know it wasn't necessarily the fault of Jim Parsons. I think he's actually a pretty fantastic actor in the other things that he's done. But yeah. uh, Sheldon became the butt of basically all the jokes. And just like you were saying, Rob, laughing at the character, not with them. And that show makes me so uncomfortable. It went on for how many seasons? Like there's only so many ways you can laugh at a character that's just, that's obviously neurodivergent. Mm -hmm. Well, I I do want to kind of come to the defense of that a little bit because I am somebody that watched all 12 seasons of the series and enjoyed it. Um, And you're absolutely right. In the earlier seasons of the show, specifically probably one through five, they did kind of play up the idea that he was he he did have some kind of a disability but after maybe the fourth or fifth season which arguably is already too late at that point they kind of dear they kind of geared away from it and they lessened that a lot um and he wasn't nearly the butt of the joke as much as he was in the beginning but again four or five seasons in if you were going to do it you should have done it a lot earlier than Mm -hmm. that um so i mean Granted, I did I did enjoy the show and I do understand a lot of people who cat like you said it makes you uncomfortable because it really was that way in the earlier seasons of the series. Uh, Ash. Um, I'm actually for worst representations going to pick on something that's critically acclaimed. And that's Forrest Gump. I knew you were gonna say it when mm-hmm. you said critically acclaimed. Uh, I've never seen it. You don't need to. I I disagree with that, too. I think it's an amazing movie, but go ahead. Forrest Gump uh, portrays somebody with an intellectual disability and does so in the what's called the eternal innocence way where they never grow up they are forever childlike they have this childlike innocence about them it removes a lot of um, agency from the character like, yes, in that movie, he does do quite a few things, but it is mostly that these situations happen to him as somebody who has an intellectual disability rather than he is actively choosing these situations. The one thing he chose to do was run in the movie, and he comes across a bunch of things and just lets these things happen to him. And that... Um, that whole eternal innocence thing is something that's portrayed in a lot of films and typically not done. Like it's, it's not, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. It just shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. People with intellectual disabilities, while they do not develop in the same way as people who do not have intellectual disabilities, they do grow and develop as people. They do have distinct desires 
and wants and needs. They just might not know how to communicate that in a way that we understand because that part has not developed. I actually just read a really great um, queer romance book with a side character who was going through that. It was really beautifully represented. It was just, you know. Yeah. It was was so different from the way you see it, like, something, you know. There's two other films that are critically acclaimed that do the same thing, and it's Rain Man and I Am Sam. Mm-hmm. All three of them, critically acclaimed. Everybody loves those films. And yet it all has, and it's that inspiration porn thing too. Mm-hmm. Look at how wonderful these intellectually disabled people are for what they have accomplished and for what they have done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, honestly, when you look at Forrest Gump, like you give him a moment of agency at the end, but at that point in time, it's too late is like, it's kind of like, cause his love interest basically treats him like garbage through the entirety of that story. And he even kind of calls her, calls her bullshit near the end of the film. And this is kind of like, no, I understand what's happening. And you're like, okay. You, yeah. But you didn't portray this throughout the entirety of the movie. The writers did not. And that is problematic. Like, and it's because you're right. It, it, it's a lot of times you even hear, hear that here that is referred to as the infantilization of a person with a disability. And it's really incredibly disappointing. So um, anybody else have an example of a, of a worst um, representation? Um, I do have one. And I think it's a show that I'm going to put in both a positive column and a negative column. Uh, and that's Glee. Um, I think mm. Glee is a show that it hits a massive negative in the way that they work with Artie. Um, and it, I know I can't remember the actor's name that portrayed him. Uh, but for the most part, they did a really strong role with him in a lot of sequences. But they even built something into his contract every season that he would always have one massive big song and dance number that where he wasn't in a wheelchair for the sequence. And but they constantly kept playing that angle in the early seasons. It was like we talked about earlier of that yeah. more, you know, it's just kind of like they even did like that song and dance number. It's like, oh, isn't it hard for Artie to be in the situation that he's in? Mm-hmm. Now let's every have all of the characters have a song and dance number in a wheelchair. And it's kind of like, but again, then they just ignore it um, very consistently for seasons on seasons on seasons. And they relegate him very much to a background player at all points in time. And it was really so very disingenuous. And especially because when they gave him a chance to shine as a character, he was one of the most incredibly well-written at when they really put focus on him. But uh, And Kevin McHale, uh, who's the actor that portrayed Artie, did a great job when he was given an opportunity to do a lot with it. But they always wanted to just avoid the focus there. And it really was painful to watch them do that. Um, if nobody else has any other ones, we can flip to best representations. Uh, Ben, uh, I'm I'm gonna bring up a movie that I don't know how many people have seen. It kind of went under the radar a little bit, but um, it's been praised a lot. And it was a movie, honestly, I was very scared to watch because of what the subject matter was. And when I watched it, uh, I was actually very pleased. And that's the movie, The Ringer, with Johnny Knoxville. Um, which portrays a lot of, um, you know, young adults who are in Special Olympics 
because of disabilities that they have. And the whole premise of the movie is that he is somebody who is pretending to be disabled so that he can compete in the Special Olympics to win money. You know, he's betting on himself. But the movie does a great job of flipping the script and actually showing that these characters are so much more than they actually are, and in many ways better than he is, uh, which kind of beats the inspiration porn a little bit, the inspiration porn angle. And the movie was so well praised because of the, the portrayal that it had that the Special Olympics actually completely backed the movie. And not only that, but a number of people in the movie are people who are in the Special Olympics portraying these characters. So they had a great representation in the movie of these characters as well because they were portraying themselves. It's fantastic. Um, I will say, you know what? Um, I do want to flip real quick into uh, a best because because it's in my head now when bringing up Glee, I figure it's important to talk about the secondary part of that. But the character of Becky uh, and yeah. Becky's yeah. angle throughout that series, I think, was such a fantastic angle because you had our lead characters like Mr. Schuster, who was very much took a character that had Down syndrome was like, you can't be a part of this because, you know, you just don't belong into this group. And you had your villain character that's played by Jane Lynch, who you constantly are just as a character you love to hate. But she really connects to, to Becky's character and she watches her and it's kind of like, you treat her like garbage. And she's like, no, she's a normal person. Why do you have to constantly treat her different? Like she can't be a part of this school and be a normal student. And then you get this other angle later on that, you know, um, she, uh, you know, um, oh, my God, I can't remember Jane Lynch's character's name. Sue Sylvester. Sue Sylvester. Her sister also has Down syndrome. So you get this deeper angle to it. And it's kind of like you get to watch all of this go through, but they never forget her character from that moment on in the series. Yes, she is more relegated to a background character, but they always do make sure they never treat her as a joke from that no, and moment. they give her a very distinctive personality. Like she does what she wants. Like, and that's the thing is like, they made her a character, not a problem. And that was really amazing. So like I said, it, I felt like it was important to kind of be like, this is where the show faltered. But regardless of what you think, even if the show, this is something that they did that I think a lot of shows were terrified to do. And I really applaud them for it. Um, TJ, you and Jess, I think you were both ready to go. Um, I wanted to just say that that's why Glee is so divisive because when they get something right, they get it right, but my god, they got so much wrong, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go outside of uh, most of the media and go to uh, Critical Role. Um, they've got a couple of things going on right now, including um, there is a, a GM character that is in a wheelchair, uh, and he is an adventurer. It is an adventuring wheelchair, and it is absolutely fantastic. Um, they also deal really well with PTSD um, and a few other thing, uh, a few other. Uh, trauma uh, nor neuro neurodiversities I get there eventually folks <laughs> um, 
in the player characters and it's really interesting to watch um and they they don't play it up for laughs and everybody's given a moment to really delve into what it is um but uh yeah so i'll shout out those guys uh ash i'm muted sorry uh I actually forgot what I was going to say. So, oh, no. <laughs> um, I mean, I was going to, it was kind of going to go back on a mix of good and bad, kind of what, what with what happened with Glee. Um, there were some positive portrayals of um, a character in American Horror Story. I believe it was in Coven. Um, she was, the actress was also in Murder House. Um and it's an actress with Down syndrome. And in Murder House, I don't think they treated her character super well. But in Coven, the character had a lot of agency and was like a character, a full-blown character with Down syndrome. And then American Horror Story really screwed it up with, I think it was their very next season, which was Freak Show, which literally made, <laughs> took people with physical disabilities and... Uh, various like um congenital uh i don't know if you would call it deformities um and called them freaks and it's unfortunately it's that's a big nod to the 1920s 1930s kind of exploitation um that they did with a lot of that stuff especially in the realm of horror uh the film is actually called freaks and i keep i'm failing um mentally as far as remembering who made that film but it is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly divisive and has created a massive stir and it continues to this day of being one of those films. But that's, I know when they talked about that, that season of America Horror Story, they even kind of referenced that. And when people heard that, they were like, this might not be a good look for you guys and you may not want to do this. But yeah, it's, it's very disappointing to hear that they, did, they went through with it. Well, and especially after they had gotten praised for their treatment of the character Addie uh, from the first season and the character Nan, I looked it up as the character Nan in the second season. Um, and this is by, I believe, Jamie, I believe Jamie Brewer is the name of the actress. They were like given praise for their utilization of her as an actress and giving her a character that had actual wants and desires and needs and dimension to then go and turn around and yes they did hire actual circus performers and actual performers who work in traveling i mean they typically are called freak shows too now because they like it's a commonly used term and people know what they're in for um i know actually a couple of people that were in season three but the representation was just not good uh, does anybody else have one that they would like to bring up for best representations? Is it, um, we'll jump back to Ben. Oh, I was actually going to bring one up because I'm I'm very curious as to where people think this character might fall. Because I can I can honestly see some people would think it would fall on the negative side, but I know some people would think it falls on the positive side. And that's John Coffey from The Green Mile. I don't know. I hate course. to admit it. Still, I still also have not seen that movie. Oh, all right. Well, I, I, have I know the it. character and I know the movie and I know that he is supposed to be 
a uh, like the the initials are supposed to be represent representative of Jesus Christ, and there's a lot of his character that's supposed to embody that idealized concept. Um, in regards to representation of disability, I haven't seen it recently enough to say one way or another if I think it was positive or negative. Okay. That's the enough. last time I saw it was probably a year after it came out. So fair. Um, before Kat, uh, jump to you. I'm going to jump to Jess real quick because she had her hand up a couple moments ago. Yeah, I think we talked about this before we started recording, but um, Hawkeye, Matt Fraction's run on Hawkeye, mm -hmm. especially, did a really great job of not forgetting that, you know, the character is deaf and he uses hearing aids. And I really appreciated that, like, the artist never forgot to draw that. Like, that was a very important part of the consistency of the art of that run. And it's just, it's one of my favorite comic runs. I love the Matt Fraction Hawkeye. It's a brilliant, brilliant run. Uh, Ash, you had your quick point. Um, yeah, I will second that the Matt Fraction run of Hawkeye is also really good. I also, I don't know if it was side by side with that or it was around the same time and I forget who wrote it, but the way um, Hawkeye's interactions with Deadpool were portrayed around a similar time, um, Deadpool would regularly take off his mask to speak to Hawkeye. So he could lip read, yeah. So he could read his lips because it, lip reading was like what many people don't realize with um, uh, some hearing aids and definitely with cochlear implants is that you cannot hear the way real life sounds. Um, Co I, cochlear implants very specifically. I, I can speak for, for my dad uh, with even an aid. Um, they don't hear specific syllables correctly, like certain words, they're missing the correct inflections. So they never understand, like, you know, like something like as simple as like hearing the name Sean, they hear it as Sean, they can't hear s certain breakdowns of certain things correctly. So yeah, that's 100%. Uh, Kat, you had your hand up for a bit. I'm going to bring it to book. They always do. Um, there is a YA read that's really, really good. Um, that did an amazing job with uh, representation, which was Six of Pros by Leigh Bardugo. And uh, the main character, Kaz, he has a limp and actually walks with a cane throughout. And the, um, the Leigh Bardugo wrote him from her own experience of having an issue and walking with pain and having a physical impairment. And it was, I mean, it's really, really amazing. Uh, TJ, you have a fake hand up and I know it's been up for a moment or two. <laughs> um, while we did take a moment to bash on uh, the portrayal of Barbara Gordon in the New 52, I will say if you go back a little bit and hit up the Birds of Prey by Gail Simone, that portrayal there was excellent. Uh, and they did really well well with that. Um, so yeah, that, I just wanted to chime in there since we bashed her a bit before. No, I, I think that was really well worth saying because to me, she is still one of my favorite characters um, yeah. when we talk about this, this realm. And yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Ash. So I remembered one of the best portrayals and I don't know why I had forgotten it, but when I was talking about cochlear implants, 
it's what caused me to remember it. Um, there is a film out currently called The Sound of Metal um, that the actor, I forget his name, he played Bodhi in Star Wars. Um, he's the lead in it. In that film, um, this is not really a spoiler because it's in the synopsis, he starts losing his hearing. Um, and he ends up uh, having to figure out how he's going to navigate life with that. Um, all of the other characters who are deaf in the film, I think with the exception of the um, supporting male lead or male supporting character, um, all of them are deaf people. All of them are members of the deaf community and actively speak in a a with ASL. And I thought that that portrayal and showing that community and showing these people as real people who value their way of communication and who they are as people um, and identify with their deafness, like I thought that was really beautiful. That's fantastic. There's two quick shows I would like to bring up uh, before I actually kind of fast forward us a little bit into our show. Uh, but there's one show, and I think because we haven't really talked about it as much in this episode, is talking about things like PTSD, um, and I think it's really important to bring up, but I think one of the shows that handles it beautifully and really cautiously and carefully was The Magicians, uh, and I think you have one of your main characters I'm blanking her name now. Um, it, she was the one kicked out of uh, Bright Bills in... Julia? Julia. Uh, with everything that occurs with Julia, but even the fact that the magicians was very careful and very cautious, even when trauma was about to occur with a character, uh, they warned you as an audience uh, ahead of time. And even at the end of the episode, because they knew what the way that they were going to show it to you was going to be very visceral and very raw, that they even talked about things like suicide for prevention hotlines, things like that. But even still, they stayed consistent with her character through the remainder of the series as it aired. And that was something that she actually really grappled with very heavily. Um, it wasn't her defining trait because she was always a character prior to and continued to be. But they did a really beautiful job of how they worked with her and crafted her as a character. And it was really something I wanted to make sure that we applauded because I think it was a show that um, does not get as much um, praise as I feel like it deserves. And I know we've talked about it very, very heavily. And if Bill was here, I'd say, hey, I have a show to tell you about. It's called Magicians. And just go back like eight episodes and you'll get that joke again. Um, uh, but uh, honestly, there's there's a movie that I think is not a great movie, but they do a good job with one thing. Um, and it's a couple of years ago, they made a film, new version of the Power Rangers movie. Hmm. And I honestly have to say the way that they portrayed Billy uh, in this new variation of the Powers, Power Rangers movie uh, as a character with Asperger's, and he, they actually didn't keep him as a background character. He was the front and center of the film from start to finish. And I really thought that the way that they handled the character from knowing quite a few people in my life that um, have Asperger's, it was really actually well done. They, I know they actually brought in several consultants that were on set every day. And I think they did a really great job of doing that. Even if the rest of the movie was kind of maybe ups and downs, the way that they handled that was really uh, very, very you know pleasing. 
Uh, but the final one here as we kind of turn a corner, because I want to talk a little bit about things that we're looking forward to seeing, or maybe things or improvements we want to see is casting of actors in roles uh, where there's already an existing disability and they can bring that to their performance. But I really want to applaud Titans uh, from DC Comics uh, because Titans starting in season two, when they cast Jericho, Jericho is a mute in the comic books and they actually cast a uh, deaf actor to portray this mute character of Jericho. And I really wanted to make sure to give a really honestly amazing nod because Shel- uh, Chella Man, who played this character so wonderfully and beautifully and in season three coming up they actually cast barbara gordon and barbara gordon is going to be played by a supermodel by the name of savannah welsh who a few years ago was in an accident actually lost one of her legs and they wanted to honestly bring something very special to the character and make sure she was portrayed in the right way so i'm honestly kind of i really wanted to applaud titans for trying to do right by these characters and i'm really excited to see what they're going to bring to that I just want to make a quick point before you move on. Um, another actor similar to the, the supermodel that was cast in, in Titans uh, and somebody who you, you might already know, but somebody to really look out for because he has really um, become a crusader in actors with disabilities getting casts, uh, cast in, in more roles is the actor Daryl Mitchell who was not born disabled, but became disabled due to an accident. He is the one that was in, he was the pilot in Galaxy Quest, who unfortunately became paralyzed uh, from his waist down because of a motorcycle accident that he was in. And he found it very difficult to get roles after that point. But luckily he's been, I know he's in Fear of the Walking Dead right now. um, And he has become a big crusader in people with disabilities being able to get roles in Hollywood. Um, you know, as far as more of what we want to see, does anybody have any specifics that they would like to bring up at this point? Jess? Yes. Um, Broadway, theater spaces. So there was a revival of Oklahoma that happened um, pre-Rona, and I think it started in 2019. And their Ado Annie, uh, let me make sure I get her name right, Allie Stroker. She played Ado Annie and she uses a wheelchair. It has no bearing on the character of Ado Annie and they cast her and she was amazing in it and she won the Tony. Like there is no reason that theater cannot be more accessible that way. Mm-hmm. And it really needs to start with, I mean, it needs to start everywhere, but the fact that you know a Broadway production did that and the fact that it's even something revolutionary it's just silly like just just cast people based on their abilities and their talent yeah absolutely um ash for me it's just continuing to uh hire especially disabled actors and actresses um the it's common and you could do a quick google search it is a fairly commonly known fact that when asked what like why there are not so many people with disabilities in films that the companies that are bankrolling it or the directors are saying they will not hire people with disabilities it's not that they can't it's not that they don't think people with disabilities would be as good they say they will not 
they're adamantly against it. And it, there is a shift. There is a change, clearly. The, I mentioned King Kong earlier. I mentioned Sound of Metal. Those uh, Sound of Metal is up for multiple Oscars. So, like, clearly there is a shift. But that shift is a long time coming and really should have happened a long time ago. Uh, we need to hire more people that are disabled. We need to hire more people to speak in the like creative and make sure that these representations aren't problematic and aren't because like the the other thing we didn't really speak about is that the disabled person suddenly becoming a hero because of their disability is also a messed up thing with Mm -hmm. x-men you don't really have that like there are disabled people who happen to also be heroes but they are heroes because of a mutation within their genes but if you look at um daredevil very specifically and i was gonna say we're gonna be bringing him up in a little bit and he's very much one of those yeah an accident happened to him that caused him to not only become disabled but that's also what gave him his powers like the fuck i and i love daredevil i love daredevil as a character but i can also recognize how problematic it is to be like you know what this character was blinded one day but that gave him super hearing and the ability to take on bad guys like can you not though (laughs) so i I just would like people to be more sensitive in the way that they're portraying people but also like include people who are part of those communities because that's the best way to get proper representation um i want to bring up and kat and i were talking before we started this episode tonight and um Kat and I had the wonderful pleasure of a couple months ago uh, during the near the end of the election season where we watched actually a thing for the Democrats and it was basically a special thing they did that was Rocky Horror the Vote. And they actually had a lot of uh, original cast members from Rocky Horror and a lot of celebrities came on to actually do something special. And Tim Curry was one of those people where they did live readings of sequences from the film. Um, And I want to bring up, because I think it's incredibly important to remember that in, when we talk about these things, uh, Tim Curry had uh, unfortunately suffered from a stroke years and years ago um, that kind of took him out of the mixture of voice acting and acting, which he was still very active doing. Um, But he actually was a member of this and was such an amazing amazing highlight of what they did and his and even though there was moments in time during this experience for him he struggled his friends that were there that have known him for a long time were just there and they they really just no one questioned anything they played with him played off of him and he even did the same he played with them and played off of them they all improv together. They are all still amazing, amazing actors regardless. And I think it's important to remember, even though with something like this, it doesn't change the fact that this is who they still are at their core. They're still performers. And they still love what they, they do. And you could see how much he enjoyed being a part of it. Uh, Timothy Amundsen is another person. If we talk about some other shows, I know Ben brought up Monk, another show that running that ran... Or TJ, uh, that ran in tandem with Psych and Timothy Amundsen, who played Lassiter. Um, and he was also Kane in Supernatural, had a, a major stroke several years ago. He was, he was uh, you know, the king in Galavant 
And he just got back to acting again, too, after going through a major stroke several years ago. And I think it's really great that the fact that watching places still hiring actors like this that really want to be involved, be a part of these things, because that's who they are and that's what they love to do. So I think it's a really important message to remind people that, you know, I don't know how many people are listening to our podcast, even if it's three or four, but honestly, yeah, I think it's so important to make sure that these people are not forgotten or not left behind. And I think it's it's a really amazing thing watching these people continuing on with their passions and what they care about. Um, so I want to get us into a final point tonight uh, before we kind of wrap up the evening. And we always try to end on a creative note before we hit our MFK. And we're going to try to make this a little bit quick. And I think there's definitely plenty left here for us to come back and do this again in the future. Uh, may not be our next episode, but I think we can expand on some of the things we haven't touched about. But um, if anybody here were to uh, rewrite an existing character to be neurodiverse or be disabled, who would you choose and why? And how do you think it would impact the character or the supporting characters around them? Um, ben. Uh, so this is a character that from a, from a series that uh, in 50... 50- it took them 50 plus years to ever add a character with any kind of disability. And that's Doctor Who. Uh, Doctor Who just recently added one of the companions, uh, I think in this last season with uh, dyspraxia. And uh, honestly, I think there's two characters that you could put in this series with with any kind of a disability that would make them even more creative characters. I think you could have a regeneration of the doctor himself have some kind of a disability. Uh, or Captain Jack Harkness, just the same. I think Captain Jack with some kind of a disability would be an amazing character arc. And honestly, I don't think it would change the character one bit because I think it would show the strength that the character has. Ash? I would argue that Eccleston's um, doctor had PTSD. And and actually quite potentially, actually, I think Eccleston threw... um, what's his name matt smith all had ptsd and presented it in different ways mm-hmm. eccleston presented as angry where david Tennant presented as sorrowful and and hurt and resentful of himself and matt smith's was escapism and mm-hmm. all of those like as somebody with ptsd myself i recognize um as different aspects of ptsd it's typically some people do have it as only one of the three maybe because of my bipolar i've experienced all of them so like i i really get it so i would argue that the doctor technically already has a disability um whether it has been uh officially posted or not is a is another uh matter yeah I mean, I, I also suffer from PTSD more, not my entire life. Mine's more from the past 20 years, but um, I, it, for some reason, I just never picked up on it, but I, it could just be signs I just missed in, in the series. I never picked up on it, but it'll be interesting if I go back and rewatch Doctor Who to actually pay attention to that next time. Um, anybody else have a character offhand that they're thinking on? I think to like expand on what I already said, um, I don't know that I would make any character neurodivergent or give them a new disability, but I absolutely positively would come out and confirm everybody who seems like they did. 
I would, <laughs> I would absolutely be like, put a name to what is going on with this person. Uh-huh. Because saying what it is and putting that out there is so important for representation. It's so important to destigmatize certain things like PTSD, like bipolar disorder, um, any, especially like any of the mental illnesses um, or an intellectual, I mean, any disability in general, but I feel like there's a huge stigma on mental illnesses and intellectual disabilities because you can't see them. So you just make a judgment on the person based on their actions. I think putting a name to what is going on with the person and saying, yes, this person has this intellectual disability, this person has this neurodivergency, this person has uh, this mental illness is important for representation and it's important to show that like characters can have it just as well as people can have it. Um, so I don't know that I would give anybody anything. I would just put names to the stuff that has already been displayed in some fashion because everybody's writing off of what they know right everybody's basing their characters off of somebody they've met before whether it's a messy representation or not so sure enough they're basing it off of somebody who has a real issue absolutely uh tj you had something you wanted to add um uh i agree with ash uh that you know confirm these things you know because Batman's got post-traumatic stress, OCD, and probably six or seven other things. Let's, let's be honest here. Um, so do most of the Robins. You know, confirm <laughs> that they have this and let there be talk oh, about it. Oh, poor Jason Todd. <laughs> um, but also in areas where put them in Star Trek why hasn't yeah Jordy was there but why hasn't there been a person with a wheelchair in Star Trek they ha- they've shown things fly in Star Trek all the goddamn time yeah, they could do so much with like the sci-fi aspect right same with Star Wars put put people with disabilities in these in these things and show that it doesn't matter okay what difference would it have made if Poe had two fake legs? Had two prosthetics. Luke's entire hand was prosthetic. <laughs> I think the implication with Star Wars, and I'm not saying this is a, a good reason for it, but I think the implication with where Star Trek rather, um, I think the implication with Star Trek is that science has been able to move yeah. past those things. But that's also but it also wouldn't be a bad idea to keep those things in anyway because then it shows that these are not necessarily bad things you are not suffering uh, it, like you can live with these things i'm, I'm i don't i'm, I'm mumbling no, over my words it's okay it's, it's kind of like the way that a lot of people treat like the old terms of like autism awareness and people are like oh you know we can work towards a cure i'm like no 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 like that's not how this works yeah and i'm like it, it's they are a normal part of society. Stop treating them. They're like they're a second class citizen. And I think that's really I think the concern is, is in worlds like Star Trek, we see them as like, well, we can fix you. And I'm like, uh, Ash. Speak to Star Trek to say that it did have somebody with a disability in uh, their most recent season of Discovery. 
Um, mm. And it was actually a, one of the more intelligent characters in the series. Um, unfortunately, the character was only in a couple episodes, and I'm hoping that they continue in future seasons. Um, but there is somebody who is in a wheelchair, uh, a floating wheelchair, as it were. Um, I believe he's paraplegic um, in uh, the most recent season of Discovery. Um, in regards to disabilities in Star Wars, besides Luke's hand, um, they have done representations, but mm-hmm. it's tech- most of the time on the dark side. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's Darth Maul, there's General Grievous, um there's later yeah (laughs) yeah there's characters who have lost limbs and other parts of their bodies who have bionic enhancements and what do you know with the exception of luke skywalker they are all evil uh so i'd argue that star trek is doing a better job with the representation thus far um because they are like honestly the person who was in the, the wheelchair it was not this big deal it was just he happened to be in a wheelchair there's a um, I, I, I just jotted myself a note because there's a lot we can unpack with that very heavily uh revolving around losing a part of you is losing part of your humanity because that's the way it feels like a lot of writers view it and um I we think could do a, a whole episode we on could that. do a whole <laughs> shit ton about that completely um, so I really want to do one final thing before we get into our MFK here, because we only have just a few moments left. Um, but I want to give everybody an opportunity if anybody has anything they would like to plug of what or even just general ideas in, for the rest of the geek community. What can we do to help better educate others in the future and make geek culture a more inclusive place for people with disabilities or nor- neurodivergencies? Ash. Um. I mentioned in the last episode that I was on uh, that I'm a Twitch streamer and I am very public about the fact that I have PTSD. I was very public about the fact that um, I had a concussion, which while not a permanent disability like the other disabilities I have, um, was something that was impairing me and my ability to do things and my memory. And I talk about these things openly and actively on my streams. I talk about my manual dexterity issues. Cause like occasionally people would be like, oh, what level are you, like what difficulty are you playing on? And I'm like, well, I'm playing on easy and this is why. I want the game to be fun for me and it will not be fun for me on a harder mode because I cannot direct the character in exactly the way I want to because my hands don't always work. And this is, this is why my hands don't work. So I do my best to put it out there. I put it out there that I have ADHD. I put it out there that I have uh, PTSD and bipolar disorder. Um, I talk about how I use my uh, horror games to help me with PTSD because the jump scares in a safe environment for me is a way for me to get past um, my startle reflex. It's helped me immensely with my startle reflex. So that's my thing as part of the geek community that I've been personally doing is holding a space where I can be open about that because I do have the experience. Um, Anybody else? Kat? Writing community, we're just, we're trying to push forward with really getting that representation out there and then promoting the representation from authors who struggle with it, things like that. Um, 
you know, we, like a couple of my author friends and I did a romance series that all surrounds real romance, where it's, um, well, real issues in romance, where it's not used as prop. Like people, you know, each of the characters have something they're dealing with and it doesn't magically resolve. It's just a part of their experience. And, you know, so we had a heroine with um, an eating disorder, a hero bipolar, or someone who, an alcoholic, things like that, stuff that is not going to resolve by the end. It doesn't magically get better. And we just wanted to push that representation forward. Um, I think for you know somebody that is a an avid con goer between you know before the the Rona times, uh, but I think it's really incredibly important to remind you know con staff that it's great to have quiet spaces and safe spaces at shows because you know people with neurodivergencies or, or just in general they sometimes need a moment just to collect themselves and people forget that sometimes when you're surrounded by hundreds or thousands of people with something going on all around you in three full 360, it's a lot. And I think it's really important that everybody needs to know that doesn't work for every single person that's out there. And it's really great to make sure that's a big key component that's available to everybody, especially in the geek community. So everyone can enjoy this to the best of their ability. Um, any final things? All right. So we're going to wrap up in our MFK and then we're going to say goodbye. Uh, but our MFK tonight is Matt Murdoch, Daredevil, Clint Barton, Hawkeye and Barbara Gordon, Oracle. So I am going to start the evening tonight with TJ. My left to kill two of them. No, <laughs> that's it. not how this works. Go at it. All right. Well, I'm going to have to marry Barbara Gordon because she's awesome. Okay. And then I'm going to flip a coin because Daredevil, I, I'd i probably kill Hawkeye because Hawkeye just annoys the ever-living fuck out of me. I can't stand the character. Um, And Daredevil, I'd fuck because after about 20 minutes of him talking, I'd probably have to leave. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. And this is why we end every show with an MFK, because regardless of how serious of a conversation we can have, we can always instantly ruin that in moments. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Okay, so this is so hard. I'd probably marry Barbara Gordon. She just seems like the one that I would get along with for the longest. Because, <laughs> um, okay, so if it was if it was MCU Hawkeye, I would have to kill MCU Hawkeye. But if it's Matt for Action Run Hawkeye, then. I'd probably fuck him um, and then kill Daredevil. Daredevil's got a lot of weird pent-up issues that I am not ready to deal with. But I'm torn between the kill and the fuck. And the reason why is because Daredevil has that perception thing. And I'm like, that could work to my benefit. 
his ultra perceiving situation. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna kill Hawkeye, and I guess I'll fuck Daredevil. <laughs> I'm touch starved, y'all. <laughs> All right, Jess. Sure. I think we've all agreed that you marry Barbara Gordon. Um, I will not accept any other Hawkeye than the comics Matt Fraction Hawkeye. So based on that logic, you fuck Hawkeye, you kill Daredevil. Daredevil just doesn't do it for me. All right. Cat. Mine's the same thing. I've had a crush on Babs forever. So yeah, she would definitely marry. And um, I'm just never a big Daredevil fan, so I'll kill him. And yeah, I'll fuck Hawkeye. Ben, I feel like I want to be different, but I don't know if I can. Um, I'd marry Barbara Gordon. Um, if we're talking, I'm not familiar with the Matt Fraction Hawkeye, so I- I'm just gonna kill him off. Uh, and I'd fuck Daredevil because let's be honest, nobody wants to see this naked, and he doesn't have to. <laughs> so uh... that's the way to go. Closing this out with the same pattern. (laughs) Mentally, when I think of fucking Daredevil, I think of the one from the TV show, the most recent TV show. So Charlie Cox. Yeah, he's not 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 Ben Affleck ain't doing it for you. I mean, Ben Affleck can get it at some points. (laughs) (laughs) But Charlie Cox's Daredevil can get it. (laughs) The problem is there's just so much Catholic guilt. Yeah, I can't. I got my own. I don't need another. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say for some interesting for some interesting scenarios is all I'm saying. Uh, I would say for me, I'm not gonna stray too far from everybody else. <laughs> you, you killed Daredevil. You fuck Hawkeye because you know what? Even if the sex isn't great, you can work on your pillow talk, and he may not hear you, so it's not quite as awkward. So you're a okay in that. So you can use this to your advantage. Um, and you marry Barbara Gordon because Babs is mwah, the chef's kiss, I think, is when we talk about these characters. Um, I think that's just the way to go. So uh, real quick, um, because, again, we're out of time for tonight. So real very fast, uh, fast goodnights across the board. So, Ben, do you have anything you would like to plug? Everything I have is at the next level, uh, the next level network.com. Just go there. Awesome. TJ, anything going on for you? Uh, I'm going to be editing my D&D sessions very soon. And they will be up on YouTube, and we'll make sure to plug that on Caffeine Crew yes. on the Facebook page. Ash? I am Amorous Sky everywhere. That's A-M-A-R-I-S and then S-K-Y-E. Uh, that is Twitch, Twitter, uh, YouTube. I'm, I'm all over the place, but Twitch is probably where you'll find me the most, and I'm active with my community, so. Fantastic. Jess? Not too much going on, but you can find me on the internet. Um, it's basically Jessica J. Rosana, that's R-O-S-S-A-N-A, at Twitter, Instagram, and my website. Fantastic. Kat? Um, just had two releases. Um, one is a romantic suspense series, and then the other one is a lesbian romance. And... There will be a second. <laughs> and congratulations on them. I know they were awesome, awesome releases for you. So huge congrats <laughs> on both of those books. And as for me, you can always find me through this show and 
sure Ben and I have got some other things cooking in the background. Um, things are changing a little bit and we'll hopefully be able to bring you still afraid of the dark season two, only a year delayed. Um, <laughs> it's better and, than nothing. Uh, hopefully around August, if everything goes well. So I'm very excited and I have actually started working on a actual book with, uh, the recipes of all of my geeky drinks and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, and whenever I get that done, uh, coming out and being out and about. So uh, very excited for that. But everybody, thank you guys so much. We hope you enjoyed the conversation we had today. And we hope we did good by representation in the way we talked about this. And I know there's a lot more we can talk about. And we will definitely be returning to this topic at some point in time in the future. But until our next episode, we'll see you then. And we hope you enjoy. And I believe our next topic is talking about helping raise the next generation of geeks whether from a place of being a peer or a parent so we're really excited to bring you that content next all right until then we'll see you then bye